Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Syracuse Podcast, a new episode for Season 2. Today, we sit down with John Pepes. We learn about uh, his history as a dancer, what he's doing now, and some of his advice and thoughts for dance directors and dancers out there. Enjoy the episode. So, John, um, obviously, you know, this is my question all the time, but definitely um, very interested to learn about your story. What drove you to dance? What um, inspired you the most and kind of how it how it progressed through your life? Um, when were you? I mean, were you one of those people that just came out of the womb dancing and <laughs> went into it or did, or did you gradually get into it? <laughs> no. So. Um, for me, I mean, I was one of the ones, I think I was born with Tarukia on my feet. I mean, <laughs> and you know, my mom always said I was a big baby when I was born. I was a 10 pounder. It was probably because of the, you know, the pom-poms on the Tarukia. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, we were, you know, I was born, I was born in Greece. We were born in, born in Athens and um, we moved to Tarpon Springs when I was three years old, 1970. So I just think I just updated my stage myself, but it's okay. Um, and, you know, so living in Tarpon and growing up in Tarpon, I, I, you know, I lived in Greece until I moved away to start my professional career in life, right? But, but my, my earliest memories, you know, really around, I really have memories of the age of like four, where we would be at weddings. And I would just get up at the end of the line. I wasn't dragged up there. I'm like... Something about this. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, I didn't know what it was then. You know, don't get me wrong. I, you know, but I just remember getting up at the end of the line and just going, going with this flow, this movement, this sound. And um, and at the age of six is when I actually started dancing in the church school. First grade Greek school, Pusanella, you're out mm-hmm. there and you're doing it, right? And not knowing why we were doing it, we just did it because we did it. And in Tarpon, it was just everyday life. It wasn't like, you know, once a year, you're going to do something in March 25th and you're going to go and you're going to march and then you're going to do a tamiko and a, um, you know, asaposherviko and call it a day. It was just life. And, you know, and I remember at some other moments early on were going to um, Mr. Timuris's house. And I think Panayoti and his talked about Mr. Timuris mm-hmm. as a tabuna player. I remember being in his backyard at two o'clock in the morning with my mom at six, seven years of age, listening wow. to the tabuna and just dancing to the tabuna. And so, you know, it was just organic. It just happened. My early exposure to Greek dance is just everyday life for me. Yeah. You know, my mom, my mom was the dancer. My dad was not, <laughs> you know, so, yep. you know, the, the, the Pepe side is Northern Epiros. My papu was from Himara in Albania, Greek villages there. And my father was born in outside of Cairo and raised there. Oh, and his his mom was, my grandmother was Italian. And um, so my dad kind of grew up more of a European culture. My dad loved, was a great ballroom dancer. Waltzes and tangos, he and my mom, we would love to watch them at, you know, dances when they put American music on waltzes and my dad would spin my mom. It was just mesmerizing to watch mm-hmm. dance from that perspective. Right, mm-hmm. seeing my dance. And then my mom, the Kalimian lady that she is, and the side of the family on my mom from Kalimnos, you know, that side, and living in Tarpon Springs, you know, I was raised Kalimian, you know, and I put quotes around raised Kalimian, but mm-hmm. the the dialect, the styles, the, the, the dancing, I'm Kalimian, okay? Mm-hmm. So 
it was just um, organic for me to just grow up and, and dance. And then it evolved. I mean, it evolved into being part of Le Verdia and, and you know, working with John Lulius and even prior to John with my early instructors. Mm-hmm. John's brother, his eminence Nikita, who's the archbishop now in London, was my one of my first instructors right Wait. before John. That's his, I yeah, yeah, know yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nikita um, his, his eminence is John's older, I would say his older brother. But I remember when Nikita was either right before his eminence, sorry, I just, it still comes out, yeah, yeah. was um, either prior to going to seminary, had just graduated University of Florida. This is, we're talking 74, 75, mm-hmm. right? In early days of dance. I remember him teaching Greek dancing to us, right? Oh, and then eventually, yeah. and then eventually, John moved back from Philadelphia. He was living in Philadelphia, dancing with I think the Turks Accordions at the time, and he came back and took over the group that in 1979 we officially became Levidia, right? And you've heard other mentions of I think Levidia and Tarpon yeah. and John uh, as well. So um, yeah, I went back to your question. It's it was just organic. It just happened. Just get up there and dance. Yeah. Um, that is so crazy because during, I never made that connection. Um, and during COVID, the, I don't know if it's the metropolis of London, it's probably not metropolis, but the, the archdiocese yeah. of London, um, did some really, really great zoom programming to kind of talk about Bible scriptures and life and, and all this kind of stuff. And it was like sort of midday. So I was able to catch a few of them. That is wild. I had no idea. I did not make that connection. So you should try to get him on as a speaker and kind of tie back to his upbringing in Tarpon, the dancing instruction. Yeah. He, he, he has an amazing story just in, in itself with, yeah. with his evolution and his growth. But Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That just gave me chills. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> Holy cow. That it's... would be a, that'd be a podcast. Talk about nerves. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Seriously. Especially like. No, he's, he's the... phenomenal. They wouldn't yeah, be like, nervous. He'll make you feel so comfortable. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to reach out. I'm gonna have to send him an email. I, I still get their emails about their like um, weekly Zoom Bible studies. It, it might be in person now. I'm not exactly sure, but um, talk to us a little bit more about Tarpon Springs. So I know we've been once together, or maybe a few times for the conference, and I feel like when I haven't gone to Tarpon Springs for like a large Greek event. I go there and it's like you can feel the Greek stuff sort of behind the walls, but it can be kind of quiet at times. Like, you know what I mean? Like to me, it's a small town. It's not like a city. Right. And then you have these Greek events and it just explodes. Um, So growing up, obviously, when we first moved in 1970 to Tarpon, I think Tarpon Springs, the population of Greeks as a ratio was probably over 50 percent Greek. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was a small, and then, you know, geographically, the boundaries were what it were, but then over time, as I got older, another high school population grew, and then the ratio of Greeks to non-Greeks changed, but, um, you know, it was very, and I lived, when we first moved, we lived right near the sponge docks. We were just mm-hmm. a few blocks away. So I just remember playing and running around and they used the sponge exchange itself when it was still being used for sponges. They used to have the Epiphany Glendy there, right? And I remember dancing in this big thing. Now it's more of a tourist trap, if you will, with shops and mm-hmm. museums, et cetera. But 
I mean, that's where our first performances were, right? That's where we danced as the St. Nicholas dancers before Let It Yeah. There were four boys and about eight girls in the dance group or 12 girls, right? And, and the boys were the shortest ones. We were always at the end of the line and the girls, you know, the boys were uncoordinated, et cetera. But I've got these pictures of me being, you know, pint size and from dancing, dancing there on Epiphany Day. But it was life. It was, um, you always heard music. You always would, you know, if you did something wrong, it got back to your house before you even got back to the house, right? <laughs> that, 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 that thing, that phone, phone or just calling from neighbor to neighbor down and that phone game would happen just by calling and you know you so you know but but that was but that was tarpon the doors were open um the music right we had we had one bazooka zorbas right and we would we would go my my mom we would go here i'm seven eight nine ten years old and i'm going to the bazooka right and it wasn't just me as the only kid other kids we we Mm -hmm. were the families just went on friday night or saturday night to listen to Mr. Grigoris, Mr. Grigoris was a phenomenal violinist, mm-hmm. right? And I think we'll probably talk about but that when I hear a, a violin, for me, mm-hmm. right? For mm-hmm. me, that's my instrument, right? Um, but I remember dancing and I remember dancing, you know, Iso Susta, you know, he'd get into other dances as well. But early on, I found myself at the, at the front of the line. And then I started looking at him and I would do these little movements where like, pick up the tempo, do something. And then he and I, here I'm at 10, nine, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old or whatever, building this relationship with the musician, right? With the violinist and feeding, and we're feeding off each other based on what I wanted. And I had no idea then what I do now, what that relationship was, mm-hmm. right? A maturity has given me insight back, yeah. retrospective, if you will, to a lot of my upbringing, but you know, so Tarpon was great to grow up in. It was a great place to grow up, but there was a point in time in my life where I'm like, I need to see the, the broader world. I need mm-hmm. to be exposed. I don't necessarily want everybody knowing my business all the time. <laughs> right. So Stop, I put a novel idea, <laughs> but I, but I made it, I made a decision in high school that regardless of what I do career wise or whatever, I'm going to move away. Mm. I'm going to move. Right. And, um, the connection to Michigan was because of Levidia and I ended up here. Right. So, um, but Tarpon was an amazing place. And we had, you know, back then it was Violi Buzuki, right? Sabuna, right? Just a typical Buzuki band with an, a, an augmented instrument growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have Lauta, we didn't have Dauli, we didn't have Lidas, you know, we didn't have um, a very, I don't even remember Clarino growing up. Hmm. Right. Once in a while, there may have been, they may have brought somebody in, but it just, there wasn't an island instrument, if you will. And that's not true. It is, there is an island, you know, you, you hear Violi, you hear Clarino on the islands, but back then in the genre hmm. of Tarpon Springs, Kalimian, the big four <laughs> dances in Kalimus yeah. or whatever we call them. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and then on the occasion, you'll have an Aptalico or a Zabeki, it was just these core fundamental just few dances that we did all the time. Um, but then the exposure started happening with people coming in, Nikita, Ms. Eminence, John. That was, that was the exponential leap in growth of knowledge and learning. There's something else out there besides Kalimian dance, right? Mm-hmm. And that happened for me, I was about 10 years old when John, John moved down, right? And he was, John was the probably 
um, my second biggest influence in Greek dance was probably him. My first was my mom. I mean, mom, mom dragged me. And even today, mom and I will do an ESOS together whenever we have an opportunity to, we'll dance. And um, we have a relationship when we do, when we do that dance, you know, I uh, haven't done Susta in a while, but she just got two new knees over the last couple of years. So maybe January we have a family wedding. So maybe we'll be able to do an ESOS into a Susta and, and that'll yeah. be, and that'll be, that'll be fun to have. Uh, yeah. uh, and hopefully we can record it for memories oh. for posterity's sake. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I did. I did want to leave Tarpon, you know, yeah. but I go back. I was just there. I was just there doing a workshop a, a month ago. Uh, I still have family there. And, you know, that the Greekness now being gone 30 plus years, mm-hmm. when I come back, everyone's Tarpon who's going to hear this is going to get angry with me, but mm-hmm. it's, I'm not saying it in the wrong way. It's, it has become, in my opinion, a little too tourist trappy. The mm-hmm. every day, but I'm not there every day to experience it. So just coming back for a long weekend, you know, I like to go get my hito and I like to just walk the docks or whatever and just smell the smell uh, of the sponges and the and the fish and so forth. But I could never see myself going back and living there. Mm. Okay, so, but I, I don't mind going back and experiencing it. Mm-hmm. But it, that's just that's just me. So, I'm curious where. So, for the people who don't know what you do, who you are, um, yeah, that's that was kind of like the beginning. Where where are you now in your dance mm-hmm. world? Dance journey. <laughs> yes. So you know, I, I guess my dance world. Um, here in in Ann Arbor in Michigan today. So um, I'm involved in three aspects of Greek folk dance. So about 11, 12 years ago, a bunch of us who had danced together um, in the early 90s in groups, we decided to, I decided to form a dance group, an adult group, right? It wasn't out of any church. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, and we actually formed a 501c3, a nonprofit entity. And I had, at one point, we had membership from 12 different parishes in the Detroit metropolis, wow. right? So Metro Detroit has a lot of, a lot of churches yeah. in a small geography, in a very small geography. So I had representation in this nonprofit. We had peaked like 30 plus dancers. Um, and that still exists. I'm the director of that group. You know, we, we took a hiatus because of COVID, mm-hmm. but we don't necessarily have a, a home because everybody drives in 60 miles, 50 miles, 30 miles. So we try to find a central church that'll host us once a month, mm-hmm. you know, and it's only a once a month thing just because every it's a, everybody has to commute, right? And it's, sure. I grew up in the every Monday, Carpet Springs, yep. yeah, every Monday night was dance. We looked forward to that, right? That yeah. was like Monday, cool. Tuesday, I have basketball practice. I don't want that, right? <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, it's, but dance was something we looked forward to. And I look forward to this now too, right? I look forward to getting it started again, um, that piece. But a year and a half ago, I took over the Ann Arbor Goya Dance Group. And oh, nice. so now I have, you know, 12 to 18 year old kids that, that I instruct. And um, I've never instructed that age group from a, from a, a, on a regular basis. I've done workshops for kids of all ages. But to have a group that is at that age is challenging me a little bit in my instructorship and mm-hmm. in my my patience, my, <laughs> you know, how I approach it, et cetera. Heaven's laughing, right? So you, you, you both get it. But um, and then I also do something here where once a night, once a month, I do what we call a Hellenic cultural night, 
where I, um, for adults of the parish, it started with adults of the parish, but now we're opening it up to others. And I teach dance to adults just for fun, right? Nice. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not teaching Calamate no Tamiko. I'm, I'm getting into a repertoire. This year's theme is a move through, travel through Greece. So I covered dances with, I did Pondos, I did Crete, I did Thrace. Um, this coming um, Thursday night, I'm doing Hiosamos um, Ikaria. So I'm just covering, and along the way, I kind of, you know, if I can bring out some of my costumes and show pieces and talk about traditions that I've learned over the years, and even some history and some context to what what's impacted Greek dance through the generations, um, mm -hmm. that's what I do. So the Hellenic Cultural Nights is something, the Goya is something, and then Kiklos Hellenic Society is our dance group name, which is a performing group, and, you know, we get asked to perform at festivals, but again, it's... It's not like it was growing up where in Tarpon I was, we were dancing at festivals all over Florida. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, twice a month growing up, we were out of state. We were out of the city over weekends dancing at festivals and then going out of state, you know, going as far as Canada and Calgary to perform, the Bahamas oh. to perform, New York to perform. Um, so growing up, my exposure to people from different parts of the United States was huge. And then that's where I made the connection to Michigan in mm -hmm. 1983. Um, we were actually, Levedia was performing in Jackson, in Savannah, Georgia, at a festival. And there was somebody from a small town in Saginaw, Saginaw, Michigan. If you look up, up all of the map, it's, it's up there. There's really not much there. Mm -hmm. um, Dow Chemical and a bunch of farmland, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's, and he saw us and he's like, we want to bring you up to Saginaw. So this was, it was early 83. And so in the summer of 83, they flew 12 of us up to Saginaw, put us mm -hmm. up, flew us, put us up. And we were the primetime entertainment, right? And for six consecutive years, we flew from Florida to Saginaw, Michigan to perform. And through those years, we built this relationship with local dance groups where when we came into town, we would also do workshops to expand the knowledge of the dance groups here locally in the state. And then some of those people in Saginaw who are eight, nine years old, I'm proud to say they're, they're my Cubata Cubato right now, yeah. right? So the relationships back then formed this family bond that allowed me, when I moved here finally in 90, after I graduated university, I already had a family here, mm -hmm. you know, a family through dance first. And then over time, you know, marriage and Cubati baptisms and so forth. Now we have a little bit of a tighter bond as a result of dance. I think that's so special and um, I'm sure it happens in other cultures, but it happens so much in our culture that like you, I feel like we might've said that this in a different episode, but sometimes those bonds with people who are not necessarily by blood, your family are so much deeper in, in some ways than, you know, your own um, given family. You know what I mean? Oh, I hundred percent agree. hundred yeah. percent agree. You know, I mean, wild. um, I have this relationship with my brother as I, he's my older brother. We're six years apart, but mm -hmm. he never danced, mm -hmm. right? He was not. My dancer in the family was my mom, and then I had some cousins. But um, it's the the bond, the the immediate family bond is different, right? Mm -hmm. And then what got me to Michigan, and then when I when I married, it was dance was the attraction that you know was what I got that um, attracted me to you know, uh, to my wife at the time and so forth. So, um, I, you know, my life is as a result of dance. 
mm-hmm. I give 100% credit to where I am today to dance. Can you talk about how that that statement plays out in like your professional life? Like your career does does your involvement in dance and I to be honest with you I don't know what you do for a living and you can share as much as you'd like or, or as little um, but how dance and that involvement influences that? So that's a that's a tough question because I think it's it's in my mind it's even blurry. Um, mm-hmm. I um, so my professional career I work for I work in the automotive industry so I'm in corporate America I work for well what's Chrysler now we're a new company called Stellantis we just merged with Peugeot so mm-hmm. um, you know I, my 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 degree is in communications mm-hmm. I have a PR degree from the University of Florida. And I moved up to Michigan to do technical communications, technical writing, working for Ford. And mm-hmm. I landed in the auto sector as a result of that, that job. And through the years, I've done many different things and I've grown in different roles and so forth. So, but the things that I learned along the way from a corporate perspective, I've been able to apply back onto my dance. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so from that perspective, how I organize and prepare for dance lessons, for workshops, how I approach learning something new, tackling a new, a new area of Greece that I want to focus on or whatever. I attribute my methodology there to my professional career and things that I've learned being a project program manager and being very linear focused and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so forth. So career has helped me from a dance perspective. The other way around though, being on the dance floor, I, I look at myself as somebody a little bit more on the introvert side. Mm-hmm. Right. Same. But when I talk, when I talk to, when I'm, but I'm on the dance floor, when I talk about dance, my, my, it's an alter ego. Right. So yeah. what has helped me is, you know, giving me a mic and talk about dance at a festival to explain, I just wing it. Right. I just wing it. You know, there's no formal script. I go up, even when I'm leading and I'm in prodding, I never do the same thing twice. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just whatever, whatever comes out. And I think that that portion of dance comes out when I'm leading meetings, when I'm leading workshops, when I'm standing up in front of a team doing a design thinking session and trying to facilitate some corporate workshop or whatever, or talking, uh, even so, now that we are a U.S., Italian, French company mm. from an auto, right? I've got the cultural side of how do I interact with the French colleagues? How do I interact with my Italian colleagues, mm-hmm. right? And, and how we facilitate meetings. Um, I attribute that to my cultural upbringing, mm-hmm. right? And being able to do that better than, mm-hmm. you know, cause you just can't go into a meeting with the Italians and expect you're going to start your agenda at eight o'clock in the morning. It just doesn't happen. Right. And right. you come in, you have your coffee, you sit down, talk about your family, you talk about life. And then about nine 30, you may start on your first topic. <laughs> well, my colleagues didn't get that. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so I think it's the one didn't affect, didn't directly impact the other. I think they both helped each other through my professional growth and career. Yeah, I think that's that's so interesting because I think both Evan and I would say that we're on the more introverted side. Yet, when there's dancing and it goes in phases, it ebbs and flows. It's like it just explodes, you know. And people are like, "You are not an introvert. How is it? whatever?" And it's like, "No, I actually am." With that said, I feel extremely comfortable, and there's something that ignites. So that that introvert kind of just sheds, you know, when you when when you're in your zone and, um, you know, I think when people are 
are listening to this podcast or, you know, as we're even supporting dance programs like you with your, you know, teenage group now, which is a challenge, what you're instilling in them and, and them being able to see you being up there, being confident, being able to teach, like, of course, you're an adult to them. That is like a life lesson. They may not see that now. They definitely won't see that now because they're teenagers and they're just not focused on that, you know? Years from now, though, they're going to be like, oh my gosh, he was so confident doing that. I can do that too, you know, or it's going to come back to them because I know that I, that's happened to me in different situations where I'm giving like huge presentations. I'm extremely nervous. I think sometimes even being on the computer makes it a little bit worse. Like I'd rather sometimes be in person. Um, And I think back to like situations that made me comfortable and that's what like guides me through, you know, these crazy like work endeavors or whatever it might be. So Right, right. Very you know, important. I think with with the younger kids, you talked about, you know, I, I think when I go back and if I look back and say, if there's something, call it the legacy, you know, yeah. if I can make an impact on one or two of these kids today that they continue on and say, you know what? I mean, for me, I think I'm a continuation of John L., John Lucas, right? He was my biggest influence, right? And from some of the early on things back in the early eighties, I think I'm there because of some of the things I don't approach dance like he did or whatever. It's not the point. It's that that passion was clicked at some point for me. And I hope that sometimes that in all the workshops that I've done around the U S over the years, teaching people that if one or two are able to carry it on, I think I've done what I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's that's how I look at it, right? Because I know I'm not going to, because as soon as 18 and Goya's over, these kids go to college, they forget about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Michigan is Michigan has been a challenge for me personally because mm-hmm. it's third, fourth generation, second, you know? So trying to do Greek folk dancing in a traditional sense versus the Kalamachano from hell that they do to everything that gets played at a festival. Sorry. <laughs> you know? No, it's so true. <laughs> okay. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> You know, and I will do the first one or two Kalamatiana at a festival and then I'll stop and I'll just sit. Uh Yeah. Uh Right. Um, And that's what I've done over the years. But now I have taught enough to a lot of different people that when we're up there and there's somebody that I've taught before, I'll grab them and we'll do a circle. And -hmm. then others will start joining and others will start doing the movement or they'll do the they'll do Cariotico the way. From a, it's not this 90, 90 mile an hour that you, we, the bouzouki bands play. I will slow it down intentionally. And you, you start seeing people dancing the way uh, we, we can get into a whole different thing. But dancing in a way that I, I believe, I think you guys, your passion as well and what you're doing and everybody you've talked to, um, there's the bouzouki version and then there's a the traditional folk version. So let's let's mm-hmm. put it into those categories, right? Sure. So um, festival, bouzouki versus. So that's good. I enjoy that, right? I enjoy seeing that. And, you know, even tonight, for example, we have our first Greek dance tonight here in Detroit. The oh. Chiotes are having, a, uh, their syllabus having a dinner dance and they're bringing in a violi and a singer from New York. All right. Right, to play. So I'm like, violi, I'm ready, right? Yeah. But. I taught there when they formed the Silogo, I taught a couple of instructors, a suite of five or six dancers from Hios, and now I see their little kids doing it every dinner dance, right? So there's, there's a sense of pride, right? And hoping that one of those kids then becomes the instructor when they're a little bit older of the next generation. Mm-hmm. We've done our job, right? I, we have done our job and that feels good. Yeah. I, yeah. I got a huge dose of that this September when I went back up to New York. Um, 
after being gone for three years, three years at this yeah. point, I think. And seeing, I, I mean, I, I've been, I was working with the kids all through the summer. They wanted, they wanted to make sure that they had a dance group to perform at the festival and, you know, so-and-so. So, you know, I gave them the material, I gave them the music, I did FaceTimes with them to help prepare them, but I just kind of figured, okay, whatever, they're, you know, they're doing this by themselves. It'll be what it is, you know, I'm just happy that they're dancing. So they asked me when I was coming up, they said, well, bring your costume and you should dance with us. I'm like, no pressure, you don't have to, like, I'm honored you to ask, but you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. a, whatever you want me to do. I'm not gonna take, I'm not there to steal the show from you. So I got up there and they're like, okay, you're dancing. We want you in the front though. I'm like, I haven't practiced with you. You shouldn't, you, you guys know how you dance. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll just go to the back of the circle. That's fine. No, 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 we want you in front. So I danced in the front. And after the first show, I was just like, I just looked at them like, what happened to you? Mm -hmm. They're like, what do you mean? Like, where did that come from? I, I'm just, I'm confused because I haven't danced with you in three years and you guys look phenomenal. Like, how'd you do this? Magic. And they, they're just, they're were, they were looking at me with such confusion and they're like, "What? why are you asking us this question? We don't understand. I'm like, you guys look like you've been like practicing like crazy for the past three years nonstop. Like you look really good. And this is like a month of practice. And they're just like, um, Evan, this is what you did. Like. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. When I left you guys, you were not this good. <laughs> but that, just, that, that is, that is a hundred percent tribute to you, right? How, just, what you, you instilled something in them to take away some things to continue and stay focused and, and, and yeah. take your style of teaching and learn, you know, and do it on their own. Right. That's, that's bravo. Yeah. <laughs> it was, right? it was just like, you know, like I know what I left them at. I know their skill level when I left them and they just, they just continued on that path, even though I wasn't there. And that, that to me was, I think that's one of the most validating moments I've had in, in a long time with dance. Cause it's just, yeah. so it's, I mean, when you talk about, you know, leaving your mark, that, that's exactly, it's a, it's a, that was a huge feeling. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and seeing that and seeing that progression in kids, that mm -hmm. growth and maturity and, and, you know, we're always going to have the kids who have the two left feet who aren't coordinated, but love to dance. Yes. Right. Yeah. You have to encourage, you want them to continue because they may, at the end of the day, they may not be the best dancer. They may not be, you, you know, they, they aren't comfortable being in the front or they may be comfortable being in the front, but they're just, you know, from an instructor perspective, they're not, they're not your best. Right. You know mm -hmm. that, but why, why take that away from them? Right. Mm -hmm. They could end up later in life helping Greek dance in a different way. Mm -hmm. And if you discourage that, you know, early on, there's a big impression on those teenage kids at that point mm -hmm. in time. And they may completely walk away from dance. Maybe they focus on research. Maybe they focus on something different later in life, helping organize a younger group. There may be an instructor, but they're behind the scenes. You mm -hmm. need those behind the scenes people. You need that to sustain progress. So, you know, um, but then yes. when you do, when you do see though, those kids, that you started teaching or you saw them early on at six and seven dancing. And then you see them when they're high schoolers, five, 10 years later, like, wow. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I, I recognize you when you had your Coke bottle rim glasses <laughs> at the age of eight and the line. Now you're leading and look at what you're doing. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes kids like that are the best teammates too, because they, they can be a cohesive force in a team, especially in that like teenage year, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so a few years ago when we were teaching up uh, in Maryland before I moved, there was a, a boy in the class and he was a little bit older than the other kids in the grade that I was like the grade group that I was teaching um, with autism, pretty high functioning, but where his autism kind of played in is he would get so frustrated because he wanted to be so precise with things, right? And obviously also he was had a little bit of like social awkwardness like we all do, but it was just a little bit more pronounced. Um, and he, I struggled that year cause I had, uh, what grade were they? They were sixth, seventh and eighth grade. I think he was in ninth. So he, again, a little bit older, but that was kind of like, there were some mean girls in the class who were like picking on others, you know? Um, but he was like the unifying force throughout the entire time. And like at the festival, he rallied, he worked so hard. He danced every dance. Um, and the group just came together because of him. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And was it a challenge? Sure. Some days he stormed out of, you know, the little chapel that we were practicing and he was done. Like some days his parents had to be there because they were just a little bit worried that he was going to like just not be able to express himself and kind of like freak. Um, but I, if anybody listening has kids in their class who are, like you said, two left feet or maybe even something more like, you know, something yeah. on the spectrum, like really try to lean into what what they bring to the group because they bring something so different. And I think that group would have been in a very different spot if he wasn't there, you know? Yeah, and, and I think it's, you're right. I think it's our responsibility to try to, try to draw that out, right? Cause we are mm -hmm. teachers, we're not just instructors, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes we're looked upon as mentors, whatever, yeah. right? Whether we want to put ourselves in there, it is a reality, right? That That is how sometimes these kids look at us. And then you have the kids that are there because their parents are dragged in there, there are kids who want to <laughs> be there. And and it's trying, trying to find that balance and how to, right, how to keep that. And and it's challenging, right? So for mm -hmm. we, with my adult group, they all want to be there. They drive 60 miles to get there. It's not an issue. I don't have a discipline issue. I don't have a cell phone issue. I don't, you know, whatever. I don't have clicks kind of thing. We're going to go up, we're going to dance, I'm going to instruct, we're going to do this, we're going to get ready for the performance. And now I can call eight of us together and have one rehearsal. Here's what we're doing. And boom, we, we go and we go and perform, right? We, we know each other and we've been dancing for years. You know, this new age group for me, as I said, as a regular instructor is, is challenging. It. Mm -hmm. it is. It is really drawing out, right? Drawing out and having me really think about what am I going to teach this week? And if I don't get everybody I want, everybody that I hope is there, then how do I alter what I'm teaching to focus, you know, because I only have them once a month for two hours. Oh, wow. Right. And, and this is, you know, Michigan is Michigan is you get together to dance at your festival and that's yes. it. You prep for your festival. Maybe one other performance at the church's dinner dance for its name, whatever. But two performances a year at the max, you know, et cetera. So there's no vested interest. There's no do this year round, perform year round kind of thing in, in Michigan. It's just, mm -hmm. it hasn't been there um, to what I grew up with. Yeah. They grew up with it this way. So it's normal for them. Yeah. Right. Sure. So I, I go through, you know, I go through these lulls where I'm like, oh, I haven't danced in so long. I haven't performed. I've got this itch. I'm <laughs> going to explode. Right. That's why I'm so looking forward to tonight to dance. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's good that, you know, we've, we've been dancing through this pandemic 
together through Zoom, as well as we've been dancing out line, outside during warmer weathers, socially distanced, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we were outside. So it hasn't that I haven't danced at all. Mm-hmm. It's just the context in which to dance for me is even more important. Yeah. Right? The venue, the music, the people, the energy, that for me is what elevates my passion to continue to dance, right? So mm-hmm. tonight I'm gonna to get another kickstart. I'm gonna have this Greek dance. I'm gonna come away listening to a violin and I'm just gonna be ready 100% mile an hour. All right, I got Hellenic culture night Thursday night. I'm ready to go. What am I teaching? What am I doing? Boom, 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 yeah. boom, right? I get this, you know. <laughs> They're not gonna know what hit them. The They're gonna be like, what? <laughs> the refuel, right? That's what we you need. Know, that, that jump start. Yeah. So, um, so um, yeah. I'm curious, you you teach dancing from all over Greece, right? Yeah. Is, are there areas that you focus on or specialize in more than others, or? So, you know, like I said, bit, this year I'm going to cover pretty much every geography, not every village or every dance. You know, there's mm-hmm. our yeah. repertoire is huge, right? I'm trying to give a taste to what the the art of you know the art of possible is for people to understand and learn and see what's there in our beautiful culture, right? Because I think the, the geography here, people don't know. They don't know yeah. what, what they have available to them, right? So my, my focus is that. It's, so I'm teaching a little bit of everything. And, and I've, over the years, I mean, I have learned from some phenomenal instructors. Um, you know, I've, I've been, I think, blessed to have had many people staying at my home in Florida over the years when we used to bring instructors from, Levit, from Greece for Levit Yao workshops. They would stay in my house. So, so, cool. so here I am at my prime sponge years absorbing. <laughs> and I had Paul Guinness. You guys, you've, you, yeah. I had Paul Guinness staying at my house. When Paul and I are dancing. He's teaching me aside from the workshops. We're doing things. You know, he gave me one of his Pondian costumes. And I don't know if you know, Paul had a very good, really this great collection. I, I have one of Paul's costumes, wow. right? I don't fit in it anymore, but I have it, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, 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 you know, I've had... Um, uh, the Dorastratu instructor staying at my home for six consecutive summers for two, three, four weeks at a time. Right. And I just, it, it, so I, I've been blessed to be able to interact with different instructors from different regions over the years, going to workshops, going to Greece, et cetera. So I do try to teach it, um, you know, as a, and being a judge at HDF, right. I, you know, I'm, I'm looked at as an expert and I, I, mm-hmm. I do those quotes about expert, right. Cause that's, you know, we are people with knowledge and we like to share our knowledge and, and so forth. Um, but sometimes I get asked to come to a workshop at a community saying, hey, we want to we want to do this for we want a bunch of stuff. But we want to focus on this because we want to do it at HDF or at FDF or some competition. And it's a region that I know the material. And I will tell them, listen, I will come in and I will teach you what I know, what I have learned. But I am not going to teach it from a perspective of getting you ready. I will never teach anybody to get ready for an FDF competition or an HDF competition, right? Because there's there's a belief there that I have, there's a separation there that I have about competition, and we can talk about that. But mm-hmm. um, the what I do is I tell them if you want that, if you want to do setus, I know who to call. Call Jordan. Okay, mm-hmm. go go to where the person who really can teach you the nuances of the dance, right? Who can teach you not just your body posture. My motto is style before steps. That's my motto. I tell that to my kids. 
often mm-hmm. because right style before steps. That's I, I've been saying that for decades now, right? And that's what I do because for me that is more important. How we look, how we carry ourselves, you know, how you hold the mandili in one part of Greece versus another part, or when you do or when you don't. Those mm-hmm. nuances people don't know, right? When you when you're seeing a dance and you're seeing somebody shortening a mandili like a helicopter, okay, okay, there's places where you can do that, sure, but you don't do that here, right? Yeah. You have to understand that. So. Um, I, you know, I, I'll be honest, I'll consider myself a generalist in a lot of areas, right? I, I look at it myself as a, um, my job is to emulate as best I can, right? I love Pandian dance. I love, mm-hmm. right? I will never have that inherent double beat that the Pandians do, right? Mm-hmm. So, but I will do my best to emulate it because I tell the kids, we have a responsibility to our dance, to our culture, to express it in a way that tells our history and tells our story, right? Mm-hmm. So when we intentionally start morphing and modifying intentional change, yeah. I struggle with that completely mm-hmm. to make it fun, to make it more fun, right? Mm-hmm. I, sorry, I am not going to do a stadio at the cadence or a speed with jumps and things just because the audience is not going to be bored by watching a stadio, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's where the music connection comes in and, and, and all of that. Um, but, you know, if my passion of dance is in Nishoti, the islands, right? Mm-hmm. The Carisa, um, Kikladas have been my latest, mm-hmm. my latest area, my latest passion of, of, of dance and um, specifically Balos. That's, and I think it's one of your normal questions, what's your favorite dance, mm-hmm. right? You usually ask, and I do have, I do have one. This, at this moment in my life where I am from a growth, for me, it's a balos. It's that relationship with my partner who I'm dancing with, right? And the freedom and the movement of what I can do within a balos and my mm-hmm. expression and my passion and what I, right? Now, how I dance with my girlfriend is going to be different. How I dance with another dancer or my mom or my, you know, I'm dancing with a little girl in the group. That relationship is, is mm-hmm. different. But for me, it all comes out in, in that. Now, you could argue that it can come out in the Cretan Susta as well, right? Sure. But the Cretan Susta has, there's a lot more formality, if you will, and posture in what we do, right? The holding, when you're holding your hands like this, I know the audience can't see it, but when you're doing the window view and you're dancing with your partner mm-hmm. and you're looking through your, and you're spinning around and you're looking, that relationship all comes through the eyes, mm-hmm. right? When Dr. Mary Chorus, when I first learned Cretan from her when I was 16 and she talked about, she really broke down the science of Cretan dance and she did all of her studies, you know, uh, and so forth around Cretan. When she talked about that window, that view into the other person is how she kind of explained it, the eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And how you dance and so forth. So you can express yourself in a very, in a certain way in, in, in every style and every genre of our dance, but in the in the Kikladis specifically in the balos, um, the box in which I can dance in, and I, I always I always talk about my box. My mm-hmm. box is you know how much improvisation I can do, staying within context of the style without going outside of the style, mm-hmm. right? So I, I, I my reference has always been a box. My box is this big for Crete because it's tight, quick, you know, mm-hmm. you know. Um, when I get into Kikladis balos. I have a bigger box. I mean, mm-hmm. it's huge, 
It's no longer a box. It's a big circle now. I have a big <laughs> radius. I can do. I can do a lot. I can. I can spin. I can turn. You know. But then even within the balos within, naxos paros. You know, kimolos, or you're going to do kithnos. You know, musically. But the fundamental is there. The concept of that box is still there. So, so I'm um, an island. I'm an islander by nature. I want. I want to pull out something you just said, um, and because I, I think it's it's such a powerful statement. You talked about stadio at a slow tempo versus, you know, let's spice it up and make it flashy for the audience. But yeah. I mean, I immediately thought back to what you said about Icariotico and what all the young kids hear when that fast, mm -hmm. you know, barrio Icariotico, and they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> but then I, what I've been trying, and I, I, we actually just did this exercise with them last week, and we're like, this is the barrio Icariotico that you all do at Goya dances, but let's. Let's take a look at this really slow, this very almost calculated, but yet so, mm -hmm. I mean, within that that slow, traditional Icariotico, that's where you have all the opportunities really starting to open up to really express yourself. And so I'm curious, you know, I-, I So on Icariotico itself, let's just talk yeah. about Icariotico itself because um, that, that it's very interesting because I, um, I did a workshop at F HDF in Pittsburgh several years ago, and I did Icaria. And I got this thing where I talked about Icariotico, and, you know, I say, it doesn't move. It moves, but it doesn't move, right? And I heard an instructor behind me, like, oh, yeah, whatever. We're still going to do it the way we're going to do it, right? It, it's okay. I, it, that's fine, right? <laughs> um, but my first exposure to how Icariotico was um, – was performed was at my Cubaro, my Cubaro Basili in Tarpon Springs married a girl from Pittsburgh who's a carrion. So we were in the early, early nineties, we were in Pittsburgh for the wedding and they played Icariotico. It was a 45 minutes to get around one time, right? Mm -hmm. It didn't move. Now come to find out their version of Icariotico is called Samuricos from the village mm -hmm. that they happen to be in. So it is a lot more constrained and slower than what you would do in one of the other, one of the other villages in Icaria. But, you know, cause you have Tamuricos is more of a, a downward movement. Your weight distribution is downward. So, but it's, and the melody is slower, but it took forever. So I'm like, wow, this is cool. Right. And, and it was just my first exposure. And then years later, five years ago now, I intentionally, we were in Greece. My girlfriend and I were in Greece for, two weeks and through Cleronomia, mm -hmm. I had met an instructor, uh, Christiana Katsaru in Toronto, who came in taught, um, Icaria. And she and I made this, you know, instructor to instructor kind of context relationship and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I come to find out mm -hmm. she was hosting a workshop in Icaria during the two weeks that we were in Greece. And we were spending awesome. most of our time in Crete. And that's where my, my girlfriend's side of the family is from Crete and Iraklion. So we were there. So we took an excursion. We went for four days to Icaria. And this was August, Panigiri season. Oh, my gosh. If you have an experience of Panigiri and Icaria, you have to. Mm -hmm. You have to go in August, right? It starts at 8 p.m. and goes to sunrise. Okay? So, and, and I got to see their full exposure of their repertoire. Because it wasn't just Sibethera, Cariotico. Mm -hmm. Cierto, right? They, they, their waltz, their polkas, borka, those actually came out at the Glendia, at the festivities, wow. right? There was a point where the energy level all of a sudden just kind of like peaked and then people were crashing. Well, they switched gears and they put on a waltz. 
what did you see? You see the older generation came out yeah. and started dancing. So they went about 20, 30 minutes of the European music, right? They put an octalico in there, you know, et cetera, or Artifta Delhi. And then it went back to Sibetara again. And then the energy level rose, right? Experience it. And we went to each night of that workshop, they went to a different city that had a different panigiri. So you've so got cool. to see how even within Icaria, what I call microcultures, Mm -hmm. We have a bunch of microcultures on the islands as well as within Greece. We have we have our big culture, mm -hmm. but then we have pockets, microcultures, even in the same general geography. Because yeah. before there were roads, it took days to go with a guy to go <laughs> on horseback to go to the other village to see, right? So um so those cultures, those microcultures formed. So seeing that, seeing how in the village of Rajes they do Icariotico, they call it Rajotico different from Tzamuricos, different from Carioticos, right? And, and seeing it just on the island, seeing the same, same nine steps, six steps, however you want to count the beat, um, performed is different. And then we're in one village, they allow the women to do a talimata on there, hmm. right? And how did that form? How did that? So I, I, I asked questions. I was trying to discover why was she able to slap yes. versus, right? It's because that family had lost all their male sons. So mm -hmm. one during the war, this is World War, this is during the Civil War, post-World War II, this family had lost uh, all their males in the family. So the one of the daughters, I, I think it was a daughter at the time, actually took over just showing that, showing what their brothers did, what their father did, and mm -hmm. it stuck. So now in that village, there's a couple of the figuras that you could do where the guys can slap. They'll only do one of the two or three slaps that are quote available to do in mm -hmm. in the box in that box, mm -hmm. but that's how it kind of evolved from that story, right? Yeah. Those are little history nuggets that are good to communicate when we're teaching, right? Those little stories, right? Yes. Because yeah. we're truly never going to know the origin of something. Exactly. I don't think we'll ever truly know the the origin of what and when and how these steps were put to music to this for the story. We just know what happened, yeah. right? And we just try to capture what we know and keep that as reference and hopefully continue to go back to that as reference mm -hmm. for what's been captured, right? Yeah. Versus creating our own reference, which is yeah. a whole different thing. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we've had this experience in the past, Ev, where some people have been like, Greek dancing is so sexist because the women can't do anything. And um, that's, um, I'm not trying to be, mean by saying this, but that's such like an American um, uh, privileged view of things where you're, you're voiding the culture, just like what you said, you're voiding the history of the why behind it, you know, and it doesn't, it's not sexist, it's, it's the culture. So if, if you can't, I'm not saying you have to accept everything about a culture, because there could be things that are, are not in congruence with what is important to us. Um, but if you, if you can't step truly step back and understand where that came from and that it came from some bit of history, um, then you're not grasping like the real reason of, of why we're learning in my opinion. Um, sure, do, you know, do I think, um, maybe there are times where yes, like it's the box is quite small, right. But you have to explore why, you know, why is that? Um, like in Gatbathos, the women are decked out when they dance. The men's costumes are like nothing, right? But the women have 
all of the most expensive fabrics. They have, you know, their gold coins. Uh, they have different dresses if they're married or not. Even from like the, the baby girls are like these little doll looking things. Mm -hmm. Carpathian society has always been run by women. They kept, it's a, it's a matriarchal society. Um, your property in Carpathos goes to the firstborn daughter. It doesn't go to the firstborn son. So it makes sense in the dancing that the women would look a certain way and stand out as compared to the men. Now, do they go up there and do figuras and, and kicks and slaps? No, they don't because they are the matriarchs. They are held at, like almost on a pedestal when they dance, yeah. in, in my opinion, right? Um, so it's not sexist against men. It's just how the society was on the island. And a lot of that was because the men were off fighting. So the women had to keep everything going, you know? So it, almost the same in Calimus because as the sponge divers, they, they, they'd leave for six months out of the year. They'd go to the northern coast of Africa. And they may not come back, right? They ran everyday life. They raised the kids. They worked the field. They did everything, mm -hmm. right? In, 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 in anticipation for somebody to come back from, mm -hmm. from, from the sponging. Um, so I, I see that. And, and I remember... Um, Actually, at another Cleodonomia, and I think I, I know Evan. I think I've run into you at a at, at some function over the years because I'm good with faces. So yeah. I think we've met. Okay, we, whether because you because in prior podcasts talking to the AC and Peter and the true talking about La Guadalfia, I I've been at many of those when you're talking about certain instructors. I was there too. So yeah. it was it was just, <laughs> you know in the small I'm world, sure. yeah. right? Our but where where I was going is I I had um, I met Anamabru. Yeah, my mom knew her mom from Kali, oh, wow. and, and probably right from a because my mom's a seamstress and she made costumes for Levedia. She made costumes for groups throughout in in places throughout the United States. Uh, I know Anna Yordidi still has one of my mom's Metaxa costume and she still wears it. So my mom's oh. made costumes for different groups over the years. She got into it because she was making it for Levedia, and over the years, you know, she got into it. And when she moved back to Greece with my dad when he retired, she actually worked with Dora Stratus group mending and researching costumes wow <laughs> so i have this collection of greek books of costumes and that describe the patterns and the cuts specifically all this documentation that she brought back from greece that she's given to me i don't know what to do with it but that's a different thing <sighs> but uh because i'm not a seamstress or whatever but it's it's just knowledge that's there that i don't want to i want to do something with it but when i met anna um she saw I was in the workshop because I took my group Kiklos to that workshop. I wanted them to ex experience the dance conference concept. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because WDC did something. It was huge in the pre HDFs of the thing. Right. Yeah. And being part of that early in my career, helping John organize, I was one of the early organizers and I used to go to the airports to pick up people, the instructors, take them to their house. I mean, I was involved in the, the behind the scenes logistics of it but but then meeting everybody so i we want i said we're going to we're going to go to toronto we're going to do this oh by the way calinos leros were both being taught andoni dalaris and his and his wife um were were there as well so i'm in there we're doing the we're, we're dancing and anna sees me dancing calimianiso so she brought me up to teach with her mm. because she didn't feel comfortable teaching the male the male movements Right. So I was doing the male movements and so forth. So she and I built this this relationship. And then several years later, 
um, Orpheus in Chicago. Mm -hmm. you know, the Economo brothers brought her to teach Kalinos there, and they did a 25th anniversary, and they invited me to perform with Anna on stage at their 25th anniversary thing at a big showcase. And not having ever performed with Anna, we just got together the one night before the dance and did a rehearsal, and boom, it clicked, right? Mm -hmm. So it's how we were raised, how, how you know, it, 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 was, it was just there. It was just there right off the bat, right? And uh, it was, it was, it was a, it was a cool experience. And then Panayoti played La Lauto. They brought Patty up and Beth Cohen from Boston to come in and mm -hmm. play violin, right? So that duo played played the music live. Here's your spot. You guys know Beth probably very well too, right? I Do you know Beth Cohen? Met Beth. I know, I know of her. Yeah. yeah. I don't know so, that I've met her in person yet. Beth is, for me in the U.S., she's probably the best. Kalimian violinist around wow. and she's not even Kalimian she is uh, I, I believe she is of Syrian uh, Syrian Jewish cultural descent that fell into folk music she was part of Ziya early on yeah. with and the crew mm -hmm. she was part of that that's how we met her and Levitya met her and I actually brought Beth and Patty to my dance groups dinner dances as performances to, to play for us a couple of years right mm -hmm. I just think she's a phenomenal musician she's she's a professor of music she teaches such a profession but her how she picks up and plays Kalimian, Bioli. She's the best in the States, in my opinion. Now, she's probably in her 70s now, so I don't know how engaged she is in mm -hmm. continuing to perform. But Beth is somebody from a music perspective that is, is incredible to talk to. Yeah. I have to have met her then. I've, I've seen Zia many, many times now. Yeah. I've definitely met her. You probably have. Yeah. I think maybe she has done some stuff with... Um... BLE out in Boston, the Likion, I feel like maybe. Yeah. Um, but her name definitely is, is familiar. You know, uh, she must have played with Vasilis Costas at some point too. I feel like maybe that's how I'm making the connection, but we'll have to, we'll have to look into Beth as well. Yeah. Um, can we talk to you about your opinion on competition? <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, so, I, I am, I'll, I'll preface it by saying, I come from the Dance Conference School of Thought generation, where the fellowship, where you come and learn, you meet friends, you meet lifelong friends, and you have the glendias at night, and you just come and dance and enjoy. And there may be a performance where you perform as your group, you know, whatever. And growing up with WDC and those things um, really exposed me to a lot of different people, my family, my extended family, et cetera, right? And... After I moved up to Michigan, um, there was a point where John Lugas, for about four years in a row, tried to get me to be a judge at HDF. Basically, take I, 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 in essence, I think I took his his slot at a point in time, right? But mm -hmm. I'm like, John, I just don't believe in it. I mean, the purpose of dance is not to compete. The purpose of dance is to enjoy life, to enjoy the celebration, to enjoy the fellowship, etc. Right? So I was a reluctant judge to begin with. Okay, mm -hmm. so my focus has always been uh, in my comments and how I score and look at things. It's always around how I can better help the instructor be a better instructor to teach our culture and history and so forth. Right. Mm -hmm. So my angle of judging and competition had my slant going in was I'm just going to contribute as much as I can to um, helping educate to improve. Mm -hmm. And 
and I have seen this evolution of maturity in the dance groups from the different communities. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily directly from my comments, but just in general now the instructors how they prep their homework. So competition from my from my perspective has helped elevate the authenticity, authenticity, accuracy, the research that groups do to prepare their communities and their kids to teach them, right? Mm-hmm. The, the competition has helped tremendously from that that perspective. And um, I will I would say that uh, the generation of kids today with instant gratification and so forth, they're of a, more of a reward scenario kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I've heard groups saying, well, I don't want to dance if we're not going to competition. Mm-hmm. So if that's what motivates the kids to get on the dance floors to learn, and then eventually the one or two of those continue on to teach a dance group, then it served its purpose. Mm-hmm. It, it, that's that's just me as as a judge. Now, I'm sad I'm going to miss this year, this coming year in um, in Orlando because my nephew mm-hmm. in Seattle is getting married. So I have a family wedding. So I've already told them I won't be, I won't. But I'm so looking forward to it. I enjoyed the experience because I have seen kids now that are in the adult group were in the primaries to begin with. And I've seen this growth in some of the talent and these kids continuing and mm-hmm. seeing kids of in, in Orlando community, there's an African-American girl who is part of the community, mm-hmm. seeing her speak and sing Thracian mm-hmm. with and worked on the dialect and the voice inflections and things I'm like, damn. Mm-hmm. Awesome. You know, yeah. just seeing these nuggets of things because, you know, most of our communities now are mixed cultural communities. Right. But we have Greek dance groups because it's part of a Greek Orthodox church. Yeah. But here in Ann Arbor is the same story. Right. We're probably 50 percent of the community because of professors and college and so forth. You have mixed marriages or you've got people who are converts mm-hmm. for, for our faith and so forth. But they also convert to the culture. Mm hmm. Right. And they put their kids in Greek school. They put the kids in dance. Right. And none of them, they, they both may have not have any Greek background. Right. Sure. So that's also that's for me is is also good. But, you know, uh, I, I enjoy competition. I, I enjoy seeing great dancing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, and. The whole, you know, the thing for me is there are a lot of groups that can't afford to go to competition. The cost yeah. of going you know, keeps, I think, some groups from being able to go because it's an investment, yeah. right? And I don't like to spend, maybe there's an uh, OCD piece of me in here, but I don't like to spend weeks and months on the same five dances to perfect them. Mm-hmm. Because perfecting, in my mind, takes away from living the dance. Mm-hmm. Because if I have to come out and do this in my Cretan posture is exactly this the entire time versus, you know, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That, so style before steps, style is not just exactly how you're going to be on stage. It's everything, what you feel mm-hmm. together, the emotion, right? That connection with the live musicians, right? And you know, the the musicians have become phenomenal over the years, right? And you've talked to, you've talked to Dimitri, Yanni, Femeli, you talk, mm-hmm. these guys, I mean, I remember Dimitri when he was six, seven years old in Tarpon Springs at the Winter Dance Conferences early on. I mean, some of these guys you're talking to now, I remember seeing them when they were younger and mm-hmm. seeing what they're doing now is 
it brings warmth to me to see that, right? So I put myself again in a different age bracket from a generation perspective, <laughs> but it, it it's pride, right? It's pride that they have enjoyed the passion and they continue to do certain things. And, you know, if competition is the avenue to sustain it today with this generation, mm-hmm. great, great. Let's continue it. Don't take it away. Um, what I don't know what happens with our commons is how the instructors use it. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not a, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I would never take a group to compete. Mm-hmm. I would never take a group. And I've been asked with my key close performing group up here, just like, you know, Orpheus has gotten permission. They're from multiple churches and different people. They're like a, you know, a cultural organization. They go and mm-hmm. compete. I could technically do the same thing, get permission from Detroit diocese to go, but I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't want to do that because I think I'd rather show the diversity and and not necessarily focus because I'm going to get bored mm-hmm. doing the same material over and over and over again. Right. Because my perfection is my creativity within my box to to enjoy what I'm doing. For me, that's perfection. Mm-hmm. Seeing the kids have fun. But I, as a judge, I do have very strict guidelines of what I have to look for. So mm-hmm. I have to put a different mindset in when I'm judging mm-hmm. because I have, but I am bringing my own perspective to that, right? Because if you look at the judging panel, we all come with our own background, mm-hmm. with our own experiences, with our own preferences and genres and geographies and dances to mm-hmm. that, right? So of our thousand some plus dances, whatever the number is, I don't think anybody has an actual number, but none of us are going to know every single dance. And when, when the when you know, Sarando is perfect. Sarando is a phenomenal talent and he goes off and researches and he brings these nuances out, right? Sometimes I look forward to his group performance because like, what's, what is he going to show me now? Mm-hmm. But I may not know that specific song or dance that was done once a year, you know, on Panagia in front of the church and it's only done then, but it's incorporated in the ethymol. Right. Mm -hmm. So as a judge, my responsibility is to say, okay, I put it in context of the general genre style. Does it fit in? And then I will step away from my desk, from my spot, and I'll go talk. I'll go ask Kiriako or Joe or somebody specifically, technically about that. Have you seen this? So we talk amongst ourselves and people come to me when we're talking about Kalinos or Kiklades. I have judges coming, asking me questions. Have you seen it done this way before or whatever? So we share our knowledge during those sessions to try to give a fair assessment across the board. Mm-hmm. We're not all going to know everything. No, it's impossible, right? And it's not fair to assume that we do at the mm-hmm. same time, mm-hmm. right? So we leverage each other. Uh, if you provide research material to us in advance, it's our, we take the time out of our own, our own personal lives to prepare for that weekend, mm-hmm. right? To, um, to see what material is being showcased. And um, so that's where I think that improvement has been really good. Sometimes I get, here's a bunch of YouTube links of where we learn stuff from. Okay, fair, because you mm-hmm. can't afford to go travel. I don't, I don't look at that as a bad thing. Right. I look at it as, as they're trying. They're trying within the means to do what they're doing. If we can help correct, maybe say, you know, this YouTube link, here's another one that's a little bit better representation. If we can do that to correct and, and point them in the right direction, we're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So they may not present something based on their material where they got it from. Right. And they may get a low score, etc. But if they bring the same material back the next year and they've improved upon it based on we've done our job, they've mm-hmm. improved. 
And that's a real, that's a really good thing in my opinion. Absolutely. I think an important sentiment from what you said is that like, I'm paraphrasing because you didn't say this, but overproduction is not always better, right? Uh, like right. bringing in those nuances or, you know, Sarando is obviously a, a different example because he is so dedicated to, to finding those small things and really making sure that his group can articulate that nuance, you know, in a, in an appropriate way. Um, but yeah. I, I think it'll be interesting for me, you know, um, I obviously I'm on the HDF fit committee, but I, I don't have a group this year. I'm not teaching right now. Um, it'll be really interesting for me to go and to, and to see, um, how people present because I've only had one other competition experience and it was that overproduction was so prominent in it yeah. um, that that is what scored high because uh, of of how the judges were viewing things, right? They were they were sort of viewing it, in my opinion, on like an entertainment basis, if you will. I'm not saying they were throwing out Greek dance knowledge or anything, but it was, goodness, sorry, we'll edit that out. Um, it was the overproduced, you know, set the the exact precise choreography, the yeah. crazy this, the crazy that, that got the big scores. Um, yet the other groups that maybe were working on smaller things or working on that really strong base of execution, you know, kind of scored lower. And, and that was tough, I think, for people to, to experience. Yeah, because, you know, I am... Um... I've had, I had the opportunity once to be a judge at FDF mm -hmm. several years back, right? To experience that, 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 that experience in itself being a multi-day, one, one extra day, the amount of judging time that you spent, it was exhausting, right? Because yeah. you really, for those say, seven, eight, 10, 12 minutes, it's our job to stay focused. So it's very yes. focused and then to comment and then with a five minute break, go to somebody else, right? So it's mentally taxing being a judge to do this, right? But there was a performance and this is, Kudos to Dean of Dallas. That year, they won. I think they call it sweepstakes. I, mm -hmm. I don't. I don't get into the levels and what what the categories are. I just go mm -hmm. and I'm doing my job and and helping. But he did this epirotico, and I you know I only saw half of it. I it was like a two part segment, if I recall correctly, because yeah. I only judge each group once. You gotcha. don't see both performances the way it's staggered because we just don't have enough judges or time for each judge to see every group twice. Um, it was raw. It was ipirotico mm. in the rawness of, and, and okay, so I'm, I'm part ipiroti, my father's mm -hmm. side, right? That clarino for me early on, mm. it was like screeching. <laughs> Not until later in life did I, I start appreciating now the maturity of the music, the maturity yeah. of the dance, right? Dean and I used to room together as HDF as judges and early on before we started bringing our significant others and our wife, yeah. you know, down. We, we we would have dueling. I'd have dueling Sabuna from Kalinos and he'd have dueling Farino <laughs> in, our, in our hotel room at two o'clock in the morning, right? It's kind of, but you know, that's the beauty of competition is those stories, that laugh, that fun, that relationship, right? And then for me, most important by far, three o'clock in the morning, not just seeing the musicians and everybody dancing, but seeing those primary kids, their parents allowing them to be awake at the convention center and dancing at Kuluriasto or dancing or something to the live musicians at three o'clock in the morning. And then mm -hmm. seeing him four hours later, five hours later in costume because they're the first group performing at nine o'clock in the morning. 
Yeah. That for me is the best experience. I always stay and I just sit, I don't even dance at night at three o'clock in the morning. I just have my video camera, my phone, just recording these kids and watching and mm-hmm. seeing, right? That for me personally is the best part of HDF, FDFs, you know, et cetera, is that yeah. by far full stop. <laughs> That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. The, the organic moments that just kind of happen. I mean, that to me is what reflects what dance and culture is meant to do for us to begin with, where music unites us and dance mm-hmm. brings us to the floor together and we're holding hands and we're sharing in that raw emotion. So mm-hmm. for me, I mean, I know me and Maria have always kind of had the same opinion that we never wanted to do competition um, mm-hmm. with our group. We always said, nope, 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 we're not. We hosted many dance conferences. Um, we, I mean, we even, we went, a little different with our conferences even in that and said we don't want a conference in the traditional sense of you know an expert from Greece mm-hmm. coming in and yelling at you all these things <laughs> that you have to pick up really quickly and then they're gone and then you're like wait what did I just learn um, right you know so we did more of a a sharing weekend where mm-hmm. this group this Macedonian group is really knowledgeable about these dances they're going to come and share their knowledge. And this group is really knowledgeable about Cretan dances. They're going to share their knowledge and we're all just going to get together and, and share. That, um, and that's, I, I think is for me, that's what I would rather see ongoing. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Once so, we can do that again, right. Once we can get yeah. back together again, well, in some cases, in some areas we are dancing again, but these, these larger things where you've got transits coming in from everybody. I would love to see WDC or some form of that somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not a competition where you yeah. have the music and you come in and, you know, and the bonds and the fellow, I, I, I would prefer to see that experience pop up again. Those, right? those, I think are the ones that do it today, that sustain it, right? They alternate every yeah. other year between Toronto and Montreal. Their mm-hmm. format is very similar. I think they've shared knowledge and how to run these programs amongst themselves, mm-hmm. right? And and so forth. And I think they've done a phenomenal, phenomenal job, right? So looking forward to when that wraps back up again, you know? Yes. Um, even if I don't take a group, it may be just to go for a weekend and just to go yeah. dance. Yeah. <laughs> 2023, know? right? Is that <laughs> when are planning that? Oh, really? Okay, 2023, that's right. I thought that's so. Right. Or are okay. they planning this coming year of? I don't remember. I haven't heard anything for this. Depends year. who has the old, the odd year. Yeah. Right. Here's so, is Laografia, I thought. Laografia. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah, I was at Laografia 2001, 2003. So that's, that's, that's where Peter, that's where Peter's involved and they yeah. see in Montreal. So I think on their, yeah. their, they were talking 2023, Peter was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think 22 is going to be too early for Peter Lomia to do it. I Just, agree. Right. Right. I, Canada yeah. isn't fully open yet, right? I don't, I don't know. think so. I don't, know. I don't even know what day it is sometimes. So. I, know. I, know. I know. You know, but, you know, one thing in look, talking about workshops and, and so forth, right, you know, and, and even just the maturity of our dance in the United States, because, you know, compared to where it is in Greece today, what they're doing in Greece today with all the Silugi now, the resurgence mm-hmm. is, <clears throat> is just absolutely amazing. You've got Vasily Karthis and his group that does right and um you've got the Likions, you've got you know even my old friends from Dorastratu have their own groups now they don't dance with Dorastratu and you know but I looking at that that wasn't there in the 80s 70s and 80s 
it was only Dorastratu and maybe a few Likion here and there or mm-hmm. whatever, but Dorastratu was the big one growing up for us, for us, right? So mm-hmm. for me, in 1983, when John took Levedia to Greece, we went for three weeks to tour Greece, to do workshops, to learn. And we actually performed in a couple of places, right? Um, we got to meet Ted Petridis. And I don't know, being from New York, if you ever heard the name of Ted Petridis, mm-hmm. Ted was a, a researcher. He was from Brooklyn, born in 48. He wrote some books about Greek dancing. And so he passed away. Um, I can't remember what year, but um, he was one of the early researchers in the United States. I think he had mm-hmm. Ethan Karras, who was more on the West Coast. Ted was more of, you know, East Coast or whatever. But I remember being in Volos. We were supposed to go do workshops there. And then the instructor bailed, didn't show up. So the kids, everybody was off dancing at the beach or whatever, seashore Mm -hmm. or whatever, because we had free time now, right? And, but I remember being with John Lulius and he said, yeah, I'm meeting some guy named Ted Petridis. You want to come along? I'm 16 years old, right? Here I could be at the beach, but I decided to go with John. And then we brought Ted, we had coffee with him. We brought him back to the hotel and he came back the next day and we did this impromptu workshop with him. And then that's for me, that session for me is when it all clicked. Mm-hmm. The history, the nuance, the culture, everything, right? Mm-hmm. From that point forward, for me, it was all absorbing everything that I could. And, um, you know, we, we there, we went to Delfus, we performed at Delfus, then we went to Athens before our trip to Crete and then Kalinos. We were finishing with Crete and Kalinos on the, on the rotation. Of course, Tarpon, we're going to go to Kalinos at some point, mm-hmm. right, on the, on the trip. <laughs> but I remember going to Athens, and we went to go to see Dorastratu perform, the famous Dorastratu dance group. Yeah. And we were walking up the pathway to get there. You know, there's this winding path through Philopapus Hill to get there. And then who used to sit and greet people was Dorastratu herself. Mm-hmm. She would sit at the entrance in the chair and just greeting people. So my mom's older sister, my Thea Maria uh, in Tarpon, who came with us on a trip, she was the school teacher. She was a Greek school teacher in Tarpon Spring. She went up, oh, Dora Stratich, went up and introduced herself, just started talking to her. And she said, we're a performing group from the America here visiting. And she's like, oh, you should dance with us. So we canceled, okay. the, da- we, we canceled the day tour the next day that we were doing of the Acropolis and the museums that were part of the formal tour. And we got back the next day. She she called George Mavropoulos, was the director at the time. He, he was her protege. And then he took over the group and his wife, Eleni. And they um, they came. He came and said, like, yeah, come back tomorrow at 2 o'clock or whatever. We'll go through a rehearsal. What do you want to do? Well, obviously, we said, we'll do Kalimus. Okay. So I remember that was my, from a memory, that was probably the, the best moment for me, you know, that because mm-hmm. I got to perform on that stage, I got to perform Mikhan Nikos on that stage to live music to somebody I've never danced to before because we didn't have musicians. We just used okay. their daughter. We did the dry run with them and so forth. But my papu got to see me. The one and only oh, time wow. my papu ever got to see me dance was doing Mikhan Nikos on stage there. So that experience for me just still sits with me. But that trip, meeting them, meeting, because then we decided to start bringing Dora Stratu to Florida. Mm. They came and they used to be instructors at Winter Dance Conference, right? We started bringing two, three couples to do their suites of dances. But George and Eleni would stay at my house. Mm-hmm. So I, I just danced. I just, it was, I was 17, 18 years old. I was at the peak of my absorption, mm-hmm. my, you know. So I, I had this exposure all the time. And 
that's that's kind of for me my I guess you call it the watershed kind of mm-hmm. time was 1983 for me at the age of 16 when that all happened and being able to do that and then learn from these people it's it's just what solidified for me whether you say and we know we know today but we didn't know then that the suites that they performed were for entertainment they had to do them in a way to enter and exit stage to sure. represent right so but in the beginning we performed their suites they came and taught us their suite they taught it to us the way they performed it we would go to travel around the U.S. and festivals and doing their suites, souffle or whatever we were mm-hmm. doing, and we would perform it that way. Mm-hmm. Now people look upon it as, well, that's choreographed, that's that, that's not authentic. Okay, but that what's the evolution of maturity of Greek dance in America mm-hmm. over the last 22 decades, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that's fine if that's what kept us going. We now know more than what we did 20, 20 plus years ago. Absolutely, and That's I, you know, I don't look back. I don't look back on those years of dancing those suites as I was dancing them wrong. No, yeah, of course not. It's a, it's a, it's the evolution, right? And then what we now now we we know more and we improve. Yeah, and I don't think anyone who um, has a dance background who has been there um, has not thought about, oh my gosh, how cool would it be if I was up there dancing? You know what I mean? Because it is, it's a it's a cultural. I caught like it's a piece of culture, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I don't, at least personally, I don't say I dance on the Dora Stratu stage. I never performed with Dora Stratu. I wasn't in line with them performing. It was our own group mm-hmm. dancing on that stage. But for me, it was dancing in front of my papu and being mm-hmm. able yeah. to do this. Now, granted, the venue's amazing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That, that dance floor is perfect for dancing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's great on the knees. It's great on the knees. <laughs> It's that, right? I don't, you know, I don't put on my resume. I performed at the Dora Sato Theater and blah, 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 blah. That's not, that's not the point of it. The, mm-hmm. It's actually that trip. I actually, when we performed in Delfus, we just decided on that trip to put our costumes on. And we said, let's just impromptu. Let's sing through this winding to the platea and let's dance. That's so, cool. so we did an acapella show, just singing and dancing in costume. And then everybody from the village just came out. Was it planned? truly organic we just had to put our co- we just put our costumes on and we went mm-hmm. down and we marched and we just started singing yalo yalo just some some songs that we knew as a as a group and we were just kind of marching through winding streets arm in arm in costume and then all the villagers came out mm-hmm. and then they somebody brought out a, a, a boom box back mm-hmm. then and popped in the cassette tape and then we just started had we had our own little impromptu glendy that night that was the funnest night for me on that three-week trip was that evening in itself. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool. That's, that's awesome. And I think that's sort of what that, that 3 a.m. time at competition, in a way, recreates something kind of Absolutely. similar. You know, people Absolutely. are singing. And, and Yeah. Yeah, it's impromptu. Yeah. It, yeah. There's something, I mean, I, I get into this, I wouldn't say argument, but discussion with a lot of people that we can't, necessarily invalidate the journey that Greek dance has gone on just because of what we know today. Um, you know, Dora Stratu 20, 30 years ago was an authority on dance. And it, I mean, yeah, we, we know stuff now that we say, okay, well, that's kind of right, but it's not quite the way it should be. Well, I mean, everything we know about dance, in my opinion, is 
a snapshot of a specific time, date, whatever in the village. It's, you know, I was there in whatever, 84, and I saw this person dancing this dance and this style, and this is what I took away from it. This is, you know, this was his motivation to dance that way. Okay, so that was, you know, one experience with research. So unless somebody is really going back every year or living that lifestyle for, you know, many, many years, what we know about a lot of these dances is just a small time. It's just this this little time capsule that, okay, from 81 to 93, this is how the village dances dance because this, their major influence was this family and this X, Y, and Z, but you know, 40, 50 years before that, maybe they did that footwork just a little bit differently because it was influenced by that family and their story. And yeah. So I heard, I heard this, this quote and I, it, the, I can't remember the exact Greek quote, but it was my translation to it came at a Cleronomia conference. Andoni Dalaris from Leros said this in a workshop and it stuck with me. The purpose of the dance is to evolve. Hmm. Right. But it's an or, organically, mm-hmm. not intentionally. Yep. And there's, 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 there's a, that goes back to what I said about changing the dance to make it more fun for an audience. Right. He goes, if I'm in my moment and I'm doing something as a leader, I'm at a panigiri. And this is usually how things kind of happen. Somebody's doing something and somebody likes it and sees this improvisation. Let's call it an improvisation for the sense of discussion. They're leading, they do something in the context of the line. They have their box, they do something. And somebody said, that's pretty cool. And they start trying to do it in line, right? And then over time, more and more people start doing that in line. And over five, 10, 15 years, that movement has now become part of that. Mm-hmm. That wasn't that person saying consciously, well, I'm going to change. I'm going to do something right now that I'm going to trigger this. That's, that's different, right? And I've, in the, I've seen a lot of that over the years where people have intentionally mm-hmm. chosen music or chosen or altered just to keep the kids engaged. And I, and that's, I, I 100% am opposed to that. I will, I will teach it. And I'm like, and I even tell instructors, listen, I'm going to teach you what I know, how I believe it's, it's still being represented today and so forth. What you do after I leave, that's all on you. If mm-hmm. you want to change it for the festival, you know, and yes, our job at the festival is to keep our culture engaged beyond our own community to attract people. Right. So we do want to do dances that are fun and entertaining which you can do them traditionally, mm-hmm. right? So it, it's it's a matter of what that repertoire looks like. And it's maybe not always, and I I could do a good show from Crete and keep everybody entertained. Mm-hmm. But I don't wanna just do Crete every, for an entire show, right? I'm gonna do mm-hmm. an island set and a mainland set. That's my approach. And I'm doing different dances because we don't have costumes in our community that are a variety of different. We've got some, you know, we've got some basic costumes that were purchased over the years through websites or, or whatever. So, mm-hmm. you know, there'll be a point where I'll go through that exercise to get the level of that material up to match the level of the dance, you know, so that we present. But I, I'm working with what I have. And I will put shows together that are entertaining, but cross villages, cross areas. So I'll do a mainland set that will include 
maybe a Pontian, a couple of Thracian, a Macedonian, or something like that, just to enter, you know, entertaining Sistris, uh, you know, Kalinitico, something that's creative with the couples and the, the, the guy with the two girls, Kalinitico's mm-hmm. turning, because it engage, visually engages the audience. And that's what you, that's what we're trying to do. What I don't like is when we have intentionally changed something that has now stereotyped Greek dance to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I, it bothers me when we have stereotyped, we've done it to ourselves as a, as a general thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the breaking of plates and flaming things in mixed of doing a tzamiko or something. It's like, oh my God. And people want to come. I want to see them break the plates. I want to see them dance on the chair or do mm-hmm. this, right? And, um, you know, we haven't, since I've taken over the group, we haven't performed at the festival because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So we're going to, so even the community and the parents of the kids dancing are going to get a shock mm-hmm. in six months, yeah. seven months when we do our festival in June. So it's going to be, because they've done the same five dances, eight dances over the last seven, eight years with a prior mm-hmm. instructor. I'm going to change that, mm-hmm. right? They're going to completely see something different, hopefully for the better. Mm-hmm. But when I talked to Father here, I told him, I said, okay, this is what you're getting. If you're asking me to take over, this is going to be my approach. If you want somebody to do it this way, I'm not your person. I won't be offended. But mm-hmm. you're bringing me in to bring my expertise and my knowledge, right, to help educate. And, you know, we'll see. And it, it's, you know, but it doesn't, turn, it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes, it takes years. It takes years. Mm-hmm. So I have to, I have to learn some patience. It takes a lot of perseverance too. You know, I think it's, you know, but I also commend you for, for being vocal about what your MO is for teaching, you know, rather than, I think some people feel pressure from the community, from the church community, you know, to put on an entertaining show and to do this. And, um, the definition of entertaining is quite different, you know, depending on on where you're coming at this from. So I think, being up front and, and saying, Hey, this is how I'm going to teach is important because, um, you know, that's, that's important to you. That's why you're doing this. So, I mean, I don't yeah. need to tell you that, you know, this, um, but speaking of breaking plates, this just reminded me of, I don't know if you remember this, but years ago when we had our group in upstate New York, we used to dance at a lot of weddings. So it would be yeah. like, maybe the bride is Greek or the groom is Greek or even both. And, and we would, you know, show up with the group, um, for, for weddings and we were at this uh like golf club country club place um i think it was even during horse racing season too so it was like a pretty busy time up in saratoga new york and we were dancing um performing at you know i don't know it was a decent sized wedding and one of the groomsmen grabs a stack of plates from the dessert table like the china from the the venue and starts slamming them on the dance floor which was on the dance floor was on grass under a tent in this like polo it was a polo club that's it yeah. um yeah. and we were just like first of all they're real plates so they're they're going to shatter like it's, it's not you know the ones that they actually break you know that are like not fired completely right <laughs> right yeah but we were i don't know i mean i think we just kept on dancing but i think somebody like ran up and stopped him after he like trashed a few of them but it's it's exactly that and Clearly this guy was not, I don't think he was Greek, but it was that cultural appropriation of like, oh, let's start breaking plates. And I'm pretty sure all of our expressions were like, oh my, like somebody please stop this guy. Yeah. 
good memories. <laughs> but you know, but there are there are there are. I'm not saying that breaking plates is wrong. Of course not. You just it, it's in context. The, the key yes. of, of doing yeah. it in the correct context, right? Yes. Of what you're doing. The you know, time and place. Uh, the time and there's a time and place <laughs> for everything, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. That was absolutely. not the time and place, but it's just <laughs> what a memory that like when you said that like and then, and then the bill there. and then, and then the bill to the dad for for the bride's dad to pay right for the for yeah. the plates right yeah. Gosh, what a I'm trying to remember because he, he was getting upset that I wouldn't do something in the dance. Yes. And I'm like, I can't, there's broken plates everywhere. It's not safe for me to do. Yes. I forget what he wanted me to do. But I'm like, it's not safe for me to do it right now. We have to sweep the floor first. Like, oh you God. can't just, like, I'm not going to kill myself, like, falling on broken shards of plates just to entertain you here. Like, that was not part of the deal. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't part <laughs> that, of the yeah, contract. Can I, ask, can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. <laughs> so has there ever been a point where you're like, I'm done, I need a break? Yes. Right? From, from you know, and what got you out of it? I'm just curious. For I me? Could, go ahead, I right? yeah. You. Mine happened, um, <laughs> mine happened when I was a teenager. I think I was maybe... 14 or 15 and whatever reason something happened at school where somebody made a comment about not being cool to dance and i'm like that's it i'm not gonna do this i'm gonna so i took was it was year. it a greek person was it a greek person that said it or no just, it was it was, uh, this was an american school well i i don't even, i don't remember exactly how it happened but i got in my head about you know it's just not cool to dance and yeah so i took that year off from dance. And for me, um, watching all of my close friends getting up and performing at the festival that year while I was sitting on the sideline was like the most gut-wrenching, horrible experience ever. And it was that moment where I said, okay, never again, as much as I might get burnt out, like just gotta push through it. And there was definitely times like when we were running our program mm -hmm. where, you know, every Tuesday night I was at dance and every Monday I was with the little kids and they were just like, I have no, you know, my life is <laughs> dance, dance, dance. I'm, I'm tired. You know, I, I, everybody else skips practice whenever they don't feel like coming, but I have to be here every week and I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired. So there was moments where I, both me and Marie, I think kind of went through it simultaneously where mm -hmm. we're just like, we need, we need to take a month off, you know, mm -hmm. And just, and I think those decisions when we did make them was the healthiest thing for us because, yeah, we love to do it. But when you, it's it's one thing to be on the dance floor and dancing and having a great time. But when you're doing it from a, an instructor standpoint and you're running a program, yeah, it's taxing. Yeah, it's taxing on your mind. There's, 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 there's burnout. Maria, mm -hmm. your story? I'm just curious. Yeah, I have a story um, too. I'm just curious. Yeah. So this happened. Uh, just before I moved to Washington, D.C., so seven, probably eight years ago, um, maybe a little bit more, we um, hosted this massive event. We had um, musicians from Greece here. They were with us. They were in Boston, then they came to us, and they spent an entire week with us. Um, and I remember sitting with Evan and being like, this is like the pinnacle of our group. And it was such like kind of a shitty thing to think because it was like, is this really like our ceiling? Have we hit our ceiling? Um, but 
you know, with everything that weekend and seeing how we, the group had influenced people, because um, we had a lot of backlash when we started our group in New York, because we were not, um, we were affiliated with a church, yes, but everyone was welcome. And um, it, I can't tell you how many meetings we had, um, you know, at the church telling us to stop and, and to not do this group and stuff like that. So we finally at this event saw the spread that people from all three communities in, in the Albany area came to this event. They were all having fun. Um, it was like, it was phenomenal. And I just remember being like, this is kind of the pinnacle of our group. And after that, the group continued, um, but there was infusion of so much drama in the group at that point in time. And that's what did it for me because part of me is um, a little bit like being a nurse, um, even though it's my second career, I'm a little bit type A, like I like things a certain way. It doesn't mean I'm not type A with like the teaching stuff, but I'm a type A with how people should be acting in a group. Like I, I just don't like drama. I think save it for your mama, get it out of here. Um, you shouldn't, if you don't like somebody that much, don't show up here. Like, why are you doing yeah. that to yourself? You know? Um, and it was, I remember it was right before I moved and I, it was kind of like a, a little bit of a disconnection, like a scapegoat for me. So I like, but I needed that break then. Um, and I took a, a pretty significant break. Um, and I, I did get back into it in DC. I remember going to my first workshop um, in, in Maryland and the person hosting that workshop actually had contacted Evan about coming down to teach. And I, like, I hadn't known about that. So that kind of got me back into it, but I have to say, like, I think I'm kind of still in a little bit of a slump. Um, and I'm hoping that HDF breaks me out of that. I, I'm going to, I'm going to try to figure out, have to have them FaceTime some live things while I'm in the wedding <laughs> just so I can, so I can see what's going on. But I, I know for me, in, we'll pipe you in. Right. Yeah. So like Evan, it was the same, the same age. I think it wasn't that I stopped. I never, I never stopped, but there was a period of time I was embarrassed. Mm. I was, you know, cause in Tarpon, we were asked to go perform everywhere, race tracks, uh, nursing homes here, yes. all over the place, festivals, all, you know, um, we used to go to a medieval festival, the Ringling Brothers Museum and had this big property in Sarasota, Florida. It was this big international medieval festival. Mm -hmm. And here's, they asked a Greek group to come perform. So we're, we're, we're dancing in this open field at a stage. It's, it's a, it's a, a, you know, on the grounds. And we just came after a court gesture doing a comedy show. And all of a sudden you had Greek folk dancing, which is the weirdest thing. But yeah. I remember about 13, 14, having to put on tights and then mm -hmm. going out and dancing with tights and a fustanella on, as an example. And I just like, I don't want to be seen. I didn't, I, I felt this, this insecurity, this, I don't know, I don't want to call it shame, but I was just embarrassed, right? And, and, and I don't know when it happened, but I just like, I just don't want to do this. I don't, I, 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 but my mom, by my FD, she kept dragging me out there to go to practice <laughs> or whatever. And, you know, and, and I'm glad, but then it came to the point where I didn't care. But I remember we were in Jacksonville performing at, um, at a, their festival and our hotel where they had put us up ended up being in not so great part of Jacksonville. Mm. It was like a, a rundown motel mm. and not just around the corner was this greasy old diner. It wasn't even a Denny's. It was something along the Denny's line. But I remember before going, we left in costume, got in the vans, we went and we were all hungry. So we all walked out there one o'clock in the morning, all in costume into this diner to go sit and eat and everyone's looking at us and we're just you know 
<laughs> this is what we do, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we're, we're, you know, and we're, we're going to go do it. So, you know, I, I had that. And then I did get the whole, I'm tired of teaching. Yeah. I just want to dance. That comes a lot more frequently these days. Yes. Right? It, it does. It does come a lot more frequently. And I, I think it's, I'm at an age where I, I just want to enjoy it, you know, because it would have been my first career. I would love to be able to pay and put kids through, you know, to do this for a living. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, have a family and send kids to college and do all that. It just, it doesn't pay the bills. Right. Or, or my lifestyle would have been, I, I, I chose a certain lifestyle. So my corporate life, that, and this is what keeps me, this is my fuel. This is my fuel, right? Mm -hmm. And one thing I want to get back to is my lauto. I want to get back and start playing that again and mm -hmm. learning. That was my midlife crisis when I turned 40. <laughs> I bought a lauto. And it was because the, an experience where Ziya was in Tarpon for Epiphany. And I was staying at my cousin's. And at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning around my cousin's pool, I had Cristo Govetas playing lauto. My uncle teaching him Kalimian lyrics and he was writing things down and learning lyrics. And it, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think Patty wasn't there, but I think Patty talked about this kind of, this kind mm -hmm. of thing. Right. And where it's just this rhythm, you have this, you know, the pismatica, et cetera. So he was writing, Beth was at one table. She was listening and doing violin and she had blank sheet music and she was learning things and writing down the epic from an academic perspective, the yeah. notes for how to play something because she's an academic person, you know, musically. And I'm sitting there at three o'clock in the morning, we're doing this. And then Crystal let me hold his lauto and I just started doing this. And that vibration that, and I still have a picture of that sitting at the pool, it's three o'clock in the morning and I'm just strumming, just to strum. I don't, there's no rhythm, there's no tempo, there's no cadence, I'm just strumming. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is what I wanted. There'll be a point where my knees give out and I can't dance anymore. <laughs> but music's gonna help me stay, yeah. right? So then I talked to Patty, Patty talked to, um, had me contact his Cubado, Dimitri in Athens. He mm -hmm. made me this lauto. And then awesome. I started having Skype lessons with Patty. Patty was doing his thesis. He was in Crete for six months and I'm doing Skype lessons with him. I'm getting up at five o'clock in the morning because it's siesta time for them there. So he's on using Skype and we we're doing lessons and I would record the Skype lesson so I could go back and play. And then I, he started teaching me Kalimian stuff. So I'm Sifta, Kalamatiana, Iso, Susta. I can just pick it up and just play and jam, right? He goes, if you can learn Kalimian music, you can pretty much then branch out to Kiklates and others because Kalimian music is a little bit more complex mm -hmm. scientifically or whatever. I'm not a music guy. So I, I don't, I've never played an instrument in my life. Mm -hmm. I didn't grow up playing, but the lauto for me, it just, it's something, it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. So yeah. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta dust it back off and start doing it because there's nobody, there's no violinist in Detroit. No lira player in Detroit. Wow. You know, so there is a it, it, Toledo. There's one in Toledo. And there's a guy who plays Cretan Lauto uh, mm -hmm. recently. And they, they're, they're, they have a Santuri. And they're starting to, there's a small group that just formed. But for years, I never had anybody that I could play with. I'm right. Surprised. And so it's, it's hard to play Lauto. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, but you want to say something? Sorry. I actually just, I just unpacked my lira and my violin last, last week. It's been packed away for two and a half years. And I was, I just all of a sudden got the itch. I'm like, all right, it's time. Mm -hmm. Let's get this out. Let's get it tuned up. Let's get it cleaned up. And yeah, I've been playing all week and it's it, it's just like awesome. Getting the energy. Like it it it's a 
I mean, dance does one thing for me, but mm -hmm. just being able to connect with the music, I'm not good at all by any means, but just it's, it's another way just manifesting all of that. Yeah, and you probably could have a whole podcast on connection of dancers and music. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And, that, and uh, there's there's a whole thing. And actually, I've yeah. talked to Patty about maybe trying to do something together with them about that from an academic perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right, because there, is, because there is a... Uh, you don't have one without the other. Mm -hmm. I mean... You, you, you can't. I mean... Well... Yeah, you, you, you really can't. In a choice, you can, but, but in, in, in what we're discussing with, in, in this forum that you guys have opened up to the world... Which, by the way, kudos. I, I'm going back now. I'm going back to all the old podcasts now that I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going through. I, I listened to Caterina's last week's. Yeah. You know, and Cotter and dance there and that whole thing, Crazy. right? And I've gone back and listened to Dimitri. And so I've got to go back and catch them all and catch up. So I started just, I'm doing my homework too. I started looking at the one, episode one this year, getting to know you guys as well, yeah. right? Yeah. So <laughs> your, your journey's a little bit. So. Yeah. You know, I you think know. it's important too to to always make sure that you do what you need to do to refuel. Like this podcast has been a refuel for me, right? It's been focusing on dance in a different way. Um, that's like a little bit more of a creative outlet for me. Um, and there's nothing wrong with saying you need to break from things. It doesn't mean you're like forgetting about it. We're never going to because again, right. you know, you get you slingshot back into it when you hear that music or, you know, like tonight when you're going to that dance, right? That's going to be like a, a moment in your timeline that's, that's going to be pivotal for you. But I, I just think it's so important to take, to take breaks. It's okay. Like it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Something that the podcast has really taught me is that we're not alone in this. Mm -hmm. And that like, sometimes when you have that moment where you're like, I need a break, I'm getting burnt out, knowing that there's other people out there and being able to lean on those people is huge. I mean, with all this, I mean, since we started the podcast, every time I talk dance with people now, it's like, oh, wait, I know somebody who's mm -hmm. really, really good at that, right? I know somebody who's got a particular, you know, and it's, it's so knowing that there's this huge network of people that share the same passion and at the same level that I do has, I think, in very many ways has really helped me to almost recenter myself and mm -hmm. move forward in a different way than I ever had before. Yeah, I agree. It's totally agree. This technology that we have available to us, we need to leverage it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We do. Yeah. We need to leverage it. And, and this COVID period where we haven't been able to get together, this has been such an amazing way to do it. I mean, I've done zoom sessions. I've done workshops. I've done, you know, over zoom. It's great. Cause I'm still sharing. But that, that connection with a dancer is difficult. I, you know, most of them don't even have their camera on, so I can't see if my audience were doing something correct or, or whatever to correct. It was, it was just share. It was a warm just to share, 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 share. Hopefully something mm -hmm. sticks. And then when we finally get back together, they'll remember something I talked about type of thing, right? And I joined, I've joined Joe. Got Joe's these Wednesday nights periodically. I don't know if you've ever mm -hmm. joined one of Joe's Wednesday night Zoom sessions. Mm -hmm. he, he does it, right? Um, so, but he's got people from all over the world. He's got people mm -hmm. in J Japan jumping in on it because, you know, Joe. Joe's an amazing, an amazing guy. And I don't think have you guys had him? We have you tried? We've tried to reach out to him. He's hard to get a hold of. I know oh. I've sent him a few messages. Okay. So if if anybody else, you want me to try? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 he responds to me. I'll, I'll see. Okay. I guess, look, I. I, I look at Joe. Joe, I think, has influenced almost everybody you've probably talked to. 
Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, he was one of my well, first it, dance conference teachers. I mean, I mm-hmm. from yeah. the very early days of Winter Dance Conference. Yes, I mean, I remember. Well, I, I remember bringing Joe. I remember yeah. Joe. Right. And Joe and Joe and I. We have. So, I look at Joe as I call my personal. I don't. I don't think I've ever called him this personally. So I'm going to say it for the first time out in public. <laughs> but I look at Joe, in as the Godfather of Greek dancing in America. Right. I, I just. I just yeah. think mm-hmm. he. In the highest regards, and I'm saying that, right? Not the mafia side. I'm talking sure. about, I think really he, from what he has done, his knowledge, his research, his, because for him, it is his livelihood. It is his passion. It's what he chose to do and live his life in a certain way to do this and share mm-hmm. what he has learned. And um, so for for that alone um, and, and what he's and how he's touched people and then he's touched me. And as a result of that, I've, I've touched others, you know, and it starts with, for me, it starts with a few people, just a few people. And then that tree just exponentially just expands and goes down. Um, but the knowledge, and I brought Joe in for a working workshop with my group, Kiklos. I wanted to do Ipidos. This is when I finally decided I'm going to go and explore my dad's roots, mm-hmm. the, the Pepis, the Pepis roots, right? And do Ipidos. We ended up doing a dinner dance that was focused on an Ipirotico wedding. But I did it in a way where I combined little traditions from different villages, from Bologna and other areas, and incorporated dance and the story of getting ready for the wedding through different villages of Ipidos. Mm-hmm. So we went to our, we rented our church diocese camp up north, brought him in, and we all as dancers went away for the weekend up to a camp and a retreat, and we did, and we immersed ourselves in Ipidos, learning and so forth. And we ended up, we, we, we put on this dinner dance and I remember afterwards that um, the president of the Ipirotico Silogo came up to me afterwards in tears, mm. in tears for what we did and what we represented. Before the show, she came up and she was angry with me because <laughs> she didn't get she didn't get a good seat at the, at, at the dance floor. She was at a table way in the back, um, you know, for whatever reason. And she cursed me out. But then afterwards she came and. <laughs> You know, she thanked me, but that was the moment because I realized, you know what, this was, we did what we were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And to, to get somebody who represents the sea logo in the Detroit area, come and tell us that. And it's all because of the things that Joe shared and his mm-hmm. experience and his research. Right. So we've got to, we have to give credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to reach out to Joe on your behalf and see, awesome. and you know, uh, he's not a technologist. He always has fun with Zoom and his sessions and so forth. But sure, <laughs> I, I think I think I think the broader your broader audience would be would benefit immensely from you having a conversation with them. Yeah, yeah, right. we would yeah. love to. There's certain people that I think you know we're hoping to reach out to, and and you know for anyone listening, everyone is welcome. Like we, this is it's very um, self filling if you will, not selfish, self-filling is a term that I'm trying to use, um, to do this podcast because we talk to different people and then you're like, holy cow, like just being able to hear people's experiences, being able to hear, um, how they view their impact, um, is so important. And, you know, there truly isn't really a way for us to all connect this. Like there are various Facebook groups, there are various, you know, events and stuff like that. But I think our goal here is just to provide a platform for people to share their voices, 
you know, in a way where you learn a little bit more about them um, and their impact. And I, I think in the future, we're going to be working with people like, like Patty on, on, um, you know, supporting some of his stuff that might be a little bit more formalized, right. For yeah. this process. Um, this is kind of like an informal, you know, put the podcast on when you're driving or at the gym or whatever it might be cleaning the house. Um, but then you get to learn so much about people. Like, I don't know Joe's backstory enough, you know, so being able for him to articulate that, um, it's truly a piece of history that you get to like really dig into. And then I think that sometimes also helps you to understand how a person comes at certain things, you know, related to dance too. Yeah. We've heard so many stories. I mean, I've heard about a lot of these people that we've interviewed, but I never knew, you know, I've heard of Dean from California, but I didn't know what his passion and what drove him. And mm -hmm. now that I understand, you know, where his motivation is and why he teaches the way he teaches, I have an appreciation for it. You know, mm -hmm. it's, yeah. it's extreme in some ways, <laughs> but it's valid and it's got it's got purpose and value to it so you know there's um it's just there's so many people so many stories like that where it's just okay i had my preconceived notions of who i thought you were but now that now that we're sharing stories it's 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 eye-opening and mm -hmm. um it's our, our 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 though our journeys may have taken us in this massive web places, mm -hmm. everybody you have talked to at the end of the day has one core link together, right? And it is Dirto, mm -hmm. right? And, and and everything that goes along with that that word, that music, that dance, and what and what we do, right? There is that that nucleus, and we all have our flavors, we all have our nuances, we all have our thing. But at the end of the day. If you're going to put on Greek music and we're someplace, our foot's going to be tapping and we're going to be like, all right, who's going to be the first one to get up and dance? Damn it, I am. I'm going to get up, right? <laughs> Everybody <laughs> dances with us. Yeah. Everybody dances with us. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Gosh, this um, was fantastic. This is, this is great. Um, the one question we didn't ask you, we know your favorite dance is bottles. Yes. What's Do you my have horse? a do you have a least favorite dance or a region or a dance that you struggle with more than some any others? So <laughs> I do. <laughs> There's one dance. And um, it's not, it, it's a dance that I struggle with leading. Okay. Gusciano. Gusciano. Uh, okay. Now, um, I enjoy it. Um, yeah. I don't really struggle with a region per se. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I enjoy them all. And that's the beauty of it, you know, of what I do. So I don't dislike any one area. And I don't dislike any instrument I, anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I, I had talked about clarino, whereas you're not too, <laughs> you know, what's well, the same thing with the tabuna. If you're not used to a tabuna or a guida, if you've grown up with a violin in an area that doesn't have a guida or a tabuna, that could be a very obnoxious sound. Mm -hmm. But now that we're mature and we can put that together with everything else, yeah. Okay, I, I can listen to Zoom now for a while, for a while. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but for me, there's this mental block mm. with that syncopation with when it get when it's slow, the slow. Once it picks up, tempo picks up. It's a little bit different for me, um, and to the point where 
um, I don't know how many years ago, but Levidia from Tarpon got together and went to Greece to do an exchange and they went to go perform. So John asked me, would I fly from Michigan to Greece, meet them and do a performance, right? We were doing an exchange and actually in Corridalos, which is a, a suburb of Athens, and uh, Eleni Spatia, who was the, uh, had been married to George Mavropoulos from Dorastratu, mm-hmm. had, it was her group. So we performed there. So we went and we did Kalinos and we did a Macedonian thing. So John wanted me to lead the Macedonian dances, which is fine. And we were doing it live. And he goes, we're also doing Buxgeno. And I'm like, <laughs> right. John, I'm, I'm calling him off to the side. John, I, I just don't feel like I could represent it, especially in this venue, in this forum. So Joe was with us. Joe performed with us. Mm. So I said, Joe, you're coming up. You're taking over on this one. You're going to come up. As soon as we did, we finished doing the Raiko. We're going to come up and you're going to take over and you're going to lead it. And then he went back in. I just did. I just, that's one dance that I just don't feel comfortable getting up, mm-hmm. you know, doing. And even today, I won't necessarily anymore get up and lead. That's mm-hmm. not, that's not important to me anymore. There was a point where I, I just wanted to lead and show off. Sure. Especially as a teenager, right? I'm yeah. showing off for the girls. I'm showing off from whomever at a festival, mm-hmm. right? That was, there was an MO there growing up, mm-hmm. right? For sure. <laughs> and, and that's fine. And we all have our own different MOs at that point in time in our lives. But now it's about getting up. And if I'm at a Panigiri, I, we, we'll go to the Cretan Sea Level dance. They'll bring musicians from Crete and they'll just be in a small little house, a small little square area, sides of a basement dance floor, and we're dancing. And They'll ask me, they know I'm an instructor. They know me. I'll come up and dance and mm-hmm. do talimata and stuff. I won't. It's not my place. Yeah. Right? I'd rather be next to somebody feeling their energy. Mm-hmm. And one of my best experiences was dancing in, in Clearwater at the Cretan dance there. I got to, I, I actually danced at the end of the line next to this 80-year-old guy. And I learned the nuances of how mm-hmm. he danced Versus being at the front and doing Malavizioti or Sertor Hanyoti or whatever and doing Figuras. I that I enjoy that. Yeah. Right. So I'm at a point in my life now where I enjoy the matureness of the dance versus the athleticism of the dance. Yes. If you ever find yourself in Syracuse, New York, um, yeah? there are a great there's a great church there, Saint Sophia, and um, that's where you can probably break down that mental block in Pushcheno. So okay. there's, there's well, so a Syracuse bunch of guys came, there. <laughs> two years ago, three years ago, Detroit starting their own HDF. We're starting to do our own HDF where it's more workshop centered. Mm-hmm. So Toledo hosted the one two years ago, and then we canceled the, the last two for COVID. And I was an instructor that, that weekend. Syracuse came in because Syracuse, I think, oh. is in our diocese, if I yes. correct, in Detroit diocese, yeah. right? Yeah. So Syracuse brought a group and, and danced and was at the workshop. So I met a few of a few, of, but now that's a. There that's you a good go. Thing. That's yeah. those guys will be your always mental block remover. Always, <laughs> always learning, always learning. Exactly. John, this was absolutely fantastic. Um, thank you for spending your morning with us. Um, we thank you for having it. me. These are great conversations. I, God, I wish that we had more of these. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And let's, so I, yeah. yeah, let's definitely look into something with Patty, like a, a music dance um, combination uh, thing. I think that'd be absolutely. Really cool. <laughs> I think that would be good. Yeah. He, he and I have always talked about trying to do something together. A project of some sort. Yeah. You know, I actually, I actually, uh, I promised them and I actually went in a plug. I ended up, I, I bought his book that just got nice. released. So um, I started reading it on a, on a flight down to Tarpon when I came down to do the workshop uh, a month ago. So it's, you know, we have to always continue to learn. Absolutely. And there's wealth of knowledge everywhere. 
right? We just have to know how to tap into it and and retain it. Yes, exactly. Right, and, pres- and preserve it. I retain it, preserve it, right, exactly. and preserve it. So, but I will thank you. Thank, thank you for you. having me. Thank you. Thank I'm you. honored for being here. Um, and if you all liked this episode, obviously you know the drill: like, subscribe, share us, um, and we will be back soon with more soon posts.